Love That Neighborhood is now on Patreon, which offers exclusive bonus content to members. For just 10 bucks a month, you can unlock bonus interviews, live streams, ebooks, and more. By becoming a Patreon member, you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our Urban Missions program. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. Love thy neighborhood. Okay, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. times. Okay, Jesse, you're a big Marvel MCU fan. I am a big fan. That is true. Yes. So, okay, question for you. Okay. Do you know the actress who played the character Agatha in the WandaVision series? Yeah, uh, Catherine Hahn. Yeah, Catherine Hahn. Okay, next question. Do you know what launched her into her acting career? Oh, gosh, no. No, what? Okay, so I have the answer. Catherine Hahn's acting career kicked off on a stage, a theater production, at her church, playing a character called Salty the Songbook. What? Okay, so here's Catherine on Conan O'Brien's podcast. First I played Salty the Songbook, P-S-A-L-T-Y, in church, in a play Whoa. called Salty the Songbook. That was, I think, my first production I've ever done. That's the I- role to get in that production. <laughs> it's the only so- role. I remember uh, staying up very late to make that costume out of a maybe a dryer or a laundry box. Right. Yep, the Book of Psalms, trying not to trip because that would be very embarrassing. And uh, then it was like, I, I was in. I mean, I was just in, 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 in. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I had no idea. Uh-huh. Yeah, so for those who might not know this character, Salty the Songbook is a kid's character from the early 80s, and it's basically this anthropomorphic hymn book that teaches kids praise songs. That's like a phrase that should never be said, like anthropomorphic hymn book. That's crazy. So like the famous Catherine Hahn started off in like a Christian play. Yeah, it is crazy. And so the reason I bring that up is to show that, you know, different types of Christian media like Salty the Songbook, they can have a really profound impact on people. And, you know, for Catherine, it was a positive impact. It launched her acting career. But for others, the impact isn't so positive. And so today, we're going to hear stories about the impact of Christian media and ask the question, what is the purpose of media that is explicitly Christian? You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. Today's episode, Christian Media. Lights, camera, reaction. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. (laughs) 
Okay, so Rach, you grew up in a Christian household. I did. Uh, I'm going to assume that you probably therefore consumed quite a bit of Christian media. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Tons of Christian media. So, you know, I was really big into VeggieTales for a while. Gotta be VeggieTales. Um, when I was a little younger than that, you know, I was all about the show McGee and Me. Great. Thanks again, McGee. Well, how was I supposed to know you? Hey, get out of my thoughts. Um, And of course, you know, in my household, we grew up listening to only Christian music. So Stephen Curtis Chapman, Carmen, Twyla Paris. That was all happening in our household. Yeah, that my childhood looked different than that. Uh, and so, like, you know, my parents were, like, like mostly Christian, sort of. And, like... What does that mean? Well, yeah, they were working on things. and uh, But, like, I did not grow up in a household where, like, we only did Christian things. Like, mm-hmm. I grew up, you know, I don't know, listening to, like, Michael Jackson and then, like, Nirvana and then Beastie Boys and, yeah. you know... But, you know, regardless of where you are on the Christian media consumption spectrum, I think it might be helpful for us to take a minute and make sure we're all on the same page about what we're talking about before we move on. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, Yeah, because my first question for you is like when you say Christian media, like what do you mean by that? Yeah. So what we're referring to in this episode would be explicitly Christian content. So in other words... It's made by Christians for a mostly Christian audience, or it has like a very clear Christian message. So it's things like um, The Chosen or like the Left Behind series, that kind of stuff. Exactly, exactly. And Christian media, you know, it's a really broad spectrum. I mean, you've got books, you've got music, you've got movies. So we're going to get even a little more specific than that with some of our stories in order to explore the world of Christian media. And for that, I'd like to actually introduce our summer intern, Jenna Telustus. Hey, Jenna. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Jesse. It's great to be on the show with you guys. Yeah. Good to have you. Yeah, likewise. So, okay, you've been with us all summer, and this was a topic that interested you, and so you've been researching, you've been reporting on Christian media. So I guess my first question for you is this, you know, why this topic? Like what about Christian media interests you? Yeah. So one of my friends and I, we grew up listening to a lot of Christian music and watching Christian movies. And we just had a lot of conversations about that and how that impacted us. So I wanted to look into the topic more and really think about what the purpose and the impact is of Christian media. Yeah, great, great. So you've got three stories for us today about how people have been impacted by Christian media. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. And just to kind of clarify, like you said, Christian media can refer to a lot of different things like books, music, or movies. But for today, our stories are mainly going to focus on video and film. All right. Well, let's dig in. Um, So what's our first story? Yeah. So our first story comes from a filmmaker who's trying to make it big in the Christian industry. So I grew up around uh, spirituality and expressing that through words and stories. 
So this is Nathan Clarkson, and he is the son of two best-selling authors who have worked a lot in Christian ministry. So having two authors for parents, Nathan was naturally drawn to stories. I thought stories were about the most impactful thing um, one could be a part of. So growing up, Nathan loved Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, superheroes, especially Superman. And since his parents were both Christians, he grew up watching, listening to, and reading a lot of Christian media. So fast forward, once Nathan graduates high school, he of course decides he wants to tell stories for a living, and he decides to do that through movies. So I looked to continuing that and looked for a life in which I could tell and be a part of and create stories. And so it was a natural um, transition for me to transition to the world of movies and books and scripts. So Nathan goes to the New York Film Academy and he studies acting. And then eventually he moves to Hollywood And while he's in Hollywood, he works as an extra in several TV shows, including NBC's Community. Whoa, wow. I love that show. Yes, but naturally, because his parents were Christian authors and he grew up consuming Christian media, he wants to follow in their footsteps and make Christian-related content. So he decides to make his very first Christian film. And he actually decides to do a modern retelling of the prodigal son parable. But I wanted to retell it in a way that it could connect to people today, where people today could identify with the characters and and ask themselves, in what ways have I been a prodigal? Do I have hope? Is redemption possible? So as he's working on the film, he isn't really thinking about what Christians would want to watch. He's just wanting to tell a good story that connects to real life. But... As he starts promoting his film and shopping it around, he starts running into problems. For instance, he finds himself editing out curse words because Christians won't watch it if it has cursing in it. You know, and this is about a prodigal. This is about, in scripture, it's about um, a story of a young man and you have prostitutes and drunkenness and and debauchery and, and And out of that, you see the desperation and sadness that his choices have resulted in. But I suddenly started finding that I had to edit things out of my movie that were um, too uncomfortable for Christian audiences. But in doing that, I also edited out the truth and the reality of the story. Yeah. And why did that bother him so much? Yeah, I mean, the reason that he was so passionate about keeping his movie accurate to reality actually goes back to when he was a kid. So growing up with two strong Christian parents, they listened to a lot of Christian radio. And Nathan remembers feeling like he just could not relate to the music because it didn't deal with or acknowledge his reality. I experienced a lot of darkness as a kid. And I listen to Christian radio and say, it's not reckoning with the darkness that I already feel as a 10 or 12 year old. And this, this supposedly Christian music is doing nothing because it won't explore the difficult parts of life, so it doesn't actually connect to me or my experience. So he actually found that secular music was a lot more relatable to him because it actually talked about the darkness that he was feeling. Okay, so at this point in his life, he's trying to make this film, and like, really what's happening is like he's coming up against the market. He, as an artist, wants to make this certain type of art, but he also is like, well, what's going to sell? Like, what's actually going to appeal to a particular audience? So it's like personal desire versus marketplace. 
Right, exactly. So he's wanting to make something that is more gritty, but the market just isn't interested. And he found that just incredibly frustrating. Well, if you edit out the most powerful, realistic parts of the story, how is this going to impact people? That was the most frustrating thing is I'm, you know, looking at Christians saying, Christians, we have to show the reality of the world. We have to show the reality of sin and darkness and depression and doubt. Okay, so what does he end up doing? Like, does he end up just catering to the audience? Yeah, so Nathan kept the edited, safer version of the film. And in 2015, when it comes out, it actually does pretty well. And ultimately, that movie got on Netflix and had a, it was very well received within the Christian world. And that opened the door for us to keep on making more and more uh, movies. Okay, so Nathan thought, to have movies with Christian themes, I have to edit out some of the darker or gritty elements, but maybe that's okay. Maybe this is just what I have to do in order to make Christian content. But then Nathan encountered another challenge. So you know those websites where Christian reviewers can like warn parents of potential bad stuff in movies? Yeah, it's like a, it's like common sense media, but like Christian version like, of it. Yeah, Christianized. Uh-huh. Right. So Nathan found something that was pretty surprising to him on one of those websites about his movie. Under the nudity section, it had girl in shorts. And I think that was a really interesting moment for me that they would consider that um, offensive and they would consider that something, a reason perhaps to not watch something, engage with the story. And all of a sudden I realized, oh, to be a part of this audience, I'm going to have to um, censor a lot of what I do, what I say, and a lot of reality that I want to come through my stories. But also if I want to sell my movies, if I wouldn't want to continue making more movies, I'm going to have to do this. So basically, Nathan's realizing that if he wants to cater to a Christian audience, he's going to have to edit his content to make it more tame than he would like. Yeah, like, I just, like, feel, you know, his pain, like, as a creative. Uh, I used to work in the music industry, and so many of the artists that I work with, like, ran into this issue constantly. It's like, Am I going to sell a bunch of albums by making this kind of art that appeals to all different kinds of walks of Christians from the rural to the urban? Like, uh, and I'm gonna make sure that it's all like very like docile. Or am I gonna make stuff that's like a genuine reflection of the things that I'm working through in life and wrestling with? And like, it just, I don't know. It's so hard because Christians come in so many like, shapes and sizes and like have so many different wildly different convictions and so like what do you do i can see part of his frustration too is like man sometimes we as christians we're just so concerned about keeping things clean safe docile and like we get almost like hyper vigilant about anything that could potentially like oh it's that's too dark that's too gritty it's not tame enough and we like get to the point of almost like being ridiculous about censoring our content well think about even like you know i know that we're talking about film today but like think about what is one of the biggest slogans in christian radio safe for the whole family right like the very notion that like that's what we understand Christian art to be something that my five-year-old can listen to my five-year-old I don't want them reading a lot of content in the Bible like you right. know what I'm saying like it's not safe for it's them. not safe Quote, for the unquote. whole family it's not supposed to be it's supposed to be a reflection of real life 
Our Christian faith is like not about being naive to the world. Yeah. And so often we want our creatives to create things that allow us to continue to be naive. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of what Nathan was coming up against. And that's really not what he wanted to do. It's not what he set out to do. But he feels like he's being faced with an ultimatum. And he can either continue to make Christian content but have to water it down. Or he can make the movies he wants to make but not really have any impact in the Christian culture. So it was a frustrating moment, and it was definitely one I had to wrestle with, especially in light of, do I want to get to make another movie? Do I want to pay rent doing this? So it was definitely a difficult um, thing. And so which option does he go with? Well, so Nathan does some reflecting and some thinking, and he actually ends up writing an article for a publication called Religion Unplugged. And he titles his article, Why I Won't Make Another Christian Movie. Oh, so he's deciding he's not going to go with the Christian media anymore. Yeah, his experience was that Christian media was at the end of the day just a business, and he wasn't very comfortable with that. I think we do live in a consumeristic culture and society in which we see things, even beautiful things like faith and God, as something we need to sell for it to be valid. And so we're trying to win people to our side Um, But we've employed the tactics of trying to employ people in the way we try to sell things. Gosh, and things get just like so tricky when we start involving like genuine faith issues and money. Mm. Because we've seen through human history, like you can make some serious cash, you know, off of religious products. Well, I'm even thinking about the episode we did a while back on the evangelical industrial complex. Right. Yeah. I mean, things can go pretty sideways pretty quickly when there's money involved. Yeah. It requires like so much discernment to navigate those two things simultaneously. Okay. So Nathan writes this article, but then what happens? Actually, it gained a lot of traction, which surprised him. And I thought, you know, it's going to maybe a couple people will share. And I was very surprised to find hundreds, thousands of people, you know, 10,000 shares or something. And it, it, it blew up in a couple days. And so it was an interesting thing to see this article blow up and that there were other people out there, a lot of them, who actually wanted to see reality reflected in their art. And they, they had actually gotten tired of kind of the, the Hallmark-esque, fantasaical view Um, even childish kind of view of the world that had been so prevalent in so much of Christian media. So he decides that he doesn't want to make these hallmarky, sanitized movies that just don't reflect reality. He wants to make things that are more accurate and that connect more with his actual life. And so he starts working on another movie, and this one is called Don't Know Jack, and it deals with a lot darker themes. Well, like what? Like, what's this movie about? Yeah. So the basic plot is that there's a guy who walks into a therapist's office and tells him that he's going to commit suicide that day. And he tells the therapist that he has one hour to change his mind. Oh, man, that sounds like a tense movie. Yeah. A lot different from your typical Hallmark movie. And he says it's the first time he actually felt artistically satisfied at the end of a script and at the end of filming. And it's about faith. It's about uh, all these things I believe in redemption and hope and love. But it also deals with the world in an honest way and shows and, and pushes back against um, some of the, the 
the whitewashing that's happened in in Christian media and asks real questions, hard questions and tough questions. And the, the viewer and the characters actually have to wrestle with it. not easy. You know, there's not just a prayer said and everything is fixed. So Nathan struggles that he feels like in a lot of Christian media, God is almost like a product. God is just something that you use so your life can get fixed. But in this movie, he's talking about the realities of living as a Christian in a broken human world. And he decides not to worry about the market this time, but just to write what he wants. And so how did it pan out? Like, was it successful? Well, the movie actually hasn't come out yet, and he's had a lot of trouble finding a distributor. And he's anticipating that not many people will see it. But Nathan's okay with that. I guess I had to come to grips with that you know, my first movie, okay, so millions, let's say millions saw it. That's great, but did it affect them as deeply? And for this movie, maybe a hundred people will watch it, but I hope that those hundred people will be affected far more deeply than the million who watched my other film. Here's what I'm thinking about. Like, I'm listening to Nathan's story, and I feel like so much of Nathan's story, like, illustrates this tension that often exists, which is like around the purpose of Christian art or Christians who make art, however you want to phrase that. And he found that when he makes quote unquote Christian art, it was not the kind of art he wanted to make. It was not helpful in the ways that he wanted it to be helpful. It was not connected to reality. Like it was kind of a negative experience for him. So I think this is just coming down to this question of like, what's the purpose? Like, what is the purpose of quote-unquote Christian media. Yeah, I think a lot of times the expectations that we bring with us as we're consuming Christian media can really influence the impact that it has on us. So Nathan had more of a negative experience, but that's not the case with everyone. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We connect young adults directly with local nonprofits, where they provide volunteer hours free of charge to ministries while also gaining real-world work experience. One area of service is our book editing and publishing track. Here, interns learn the book publishing process from start to finish as they work alongside Christian authors. One of these authors is Dr. Timothy Paul Jones. Dr. Jones said sometimes the book publishing process can feel pretty mundane, but that even in the small tasks, interns can learn valuable lessons. Our world, it values that which is quick and flashy, and they realize that things that really matter require just a lot of long, mundane labor. As mundane as that is, it's a really important thing uh, to recognize that it's in the ordinary rhythms of just keeping at it, doing the work that needs to be done, that things that are beautiful are produced in the end. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Rachel Zabo. Jenna Tolustis. Today, we're exploring stories from the world of Christian media. 
So we've got our summer intern, Jenna, here in the studio with us. And we've just heard the story of Nathan Clarkson, a filmmaker who had a negative experience with Christian media. But now, Jenna, you have a story that's actually kind of the opposite of that. That's right. So this next story is from a woman named Lisa Wall, and she has a view of Christian media that's very different from Nathan's. So Lisa Wall is a nursing professor at College of the Ozarks, but our story starts when she was just seven years old. And it was a Sunday morning, and she was watching TV while her mom was getting ready for church. And so I was sitting in the living room, and there was a lady on there. um, Seems like she had kind of shorter, reddish curly hair, and some sort of a little puppet. I don't know if it was a little lamb or if it was a lamb, lamb chops. I don't recall. So the show was part of a local broadcast station, and since it was Sunday morning, it was an explicitly Christian show. And seven-year-old Lisa loved it. She had a little puppet on there, and of course as a child, I thought that was just the neatest thing ever, especially little talking animals, and they did a whole program. And at the end of the program, the lamb puppet asked the viewers, do you want to receive Jesus into your heart? It was a very clear presentation about Jesus and um, would you like to go to heaven one day? And this is how you receive Jesus as your savior. So it wasn't watered down. It was put together in a simple fashion, but it was clear biblical truth. And so Lisa followed along with the lamb puppet. And at the end of the show, she believed the message of Jesus. After the show ended, she ran and told her mom that she was now a Christian. And so through Christian media, Lisa began her relationship with God. Yeah, okay, so like I can see where from her point of view, like Christian media literally changed the rest of her life. She's looking at Christian media and she's like, it showed up for me at the exact time I needed it with the exact message that I needed to hear and the rest of my life has been built around that moment. So like, she's gonna have a pretty positive view then of Christian media, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's definitely true. But one thing to note though, I think, is that it was a kid's program. And like, kid's content is not gonna, you know, need to wrestle with stuff that like Nathan was talking about. Like, it's not gonna have cursing in it. It's not gonna have like, themes of a guy who's like committing suicide like kids programming just by nature has to be a little more lighthearted and and docile so we're not even just talking about this issue now of like christian content versus like secular content or like tame christian content versus gritty but now there's also this issue even of like adult christian content versus content for children like and they're not the same thing right yeah that's a good distinction Yeah, I think that's definitely true, but Lisa still finds a lot of value in a bunch of different kinds of Christian media. In fact, Christian media has had a huge impact on how she now parents her daughter. So I know with my own daughter, there were just a handful of little videos that I let her watch regularly uh, because I thought that it was really good for her spiritual formation. And just like Lisa was impacted by Christian media, She's seeing the same thing happen with her daughter. 
And so in going through some, what I would consider to be uh, difficult moments when my daughter was just a little child, I listened a lot to some online Christian programming. And as I listened, there was a jingle and the jingle was walk, walk in the word, walk in the word, this is the way. So there was one afternoon where Lisa was just having a really hard and discouraging day and she just started crying in her room. And her daughter, who was about two and a half, came in and asked her what was wrong. And she came into the living room and crawled up on on my chest and said, Mommy, walk in the word. I don't know how she knew to say that other than Christian programming and the jingle that she'd heard on that particular radio broadcast. I knew that the Lord, through even the lips of a little child, was telling me, to read his word, to be encouraged in my heart, to face things that are difficult and just continue to put one foot in front of the other. So Lisa sees the positive impact of Christian media, not just for kids, but also for the students that she teaches at college. And she's actually such a big proponent that she assigned her students to listen to Christian podcasts and programming while they do other things like driving home for the weekend, walking across campus, just things like that. And many of the students resist initially and they think it's going to be a big waste of time, but nearly all of the students by the end of the semester say, wow, that really changed my outlook. That gave me a profound amount of encouragement I deal with some anxiety or I deal with some depression. And I found that as I got into God's word and I just started cleaning my room or walking across campus or going to go, uh, you know, lift weights or whatever the activity was that they were going to do, they'll tell me it really changed my outlook. And I'm so grateful that this was an assignment. Okay. So like, I think I'm seeing like two ideas kind of come out of these stories. So you get like Nathan saw like the purpose of Christians creating art as like we want to engage reality and hardship and the grit of life and that the truth of God intervenes into these really difficult scenarios, but we want to portray those things true to life. But then on like the other side, like I hear Lisa talking and it's not like she's not necessarily into those things, but like she's going to put more emphasis on like biblical instruction, being affirmed in your faith, having Christian media like shape the way that you see the world. She's not necessarily like going to Christian media being like, hey, portray all the darkest parts of society. She's going more from like, teach me, shape me. Encourage know? me. Encourage me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, and so both of them are like coming with different expectations, you mm-hmm. know, for what they want Christian art to do. Right, and we need both. I don't think that all media needs to be an evangelistic tool or a teaching tool, but it can just be good art for the sake of being good art and good storytelling. I think there's also room in Christian media for both teaching and good storytelling. I don't think we need to emphasize one over the other. Okay, so we've heard from Nathan, who had a complicated relationship with Christian media. We've heard from Lisa, who's really benefited from it and believes in it. Uh, You said you have one more story for us? 
Yeah, so this last story is about a guy who actually didn't work in Christian media, but he wanted to merge two different worlds together, the world of Christianity and the world of Hollywood. It's a story of sex, drugs, rock and roll, and a vampire slayer. So this story is from a guy named Dean Batali, and Dean's background was actually in theater, mostly comedy. And his story starts when he finds himself out of the theater and out of a job. And I had this very limited skill set of being able to write dialogue that made people laugh, write comedy. And I thought maybe I can use that skill in Hollywood. So Dean is a writer, but he's also a Christian, and he has some really strong opinions about how he sees Christians being portrayed in mainstream media. He feels like they're either just flat characters or they're hypocrites and just generally not being portrayed in a good light. It wasn't so much that I was angry about the representations I was seeing, it was just that I felt they were wrong. And I was hoping I might be able to have some contribution to correcting that. So Dean gets this idea, which is instead of joining the Christian media bandwagon, what if he tried to influence media from within Hollywood? It's kind of a completely different approach. Yeah, that feels like a really difficult thing to do. Like, what is his plan? Like, how's he going to do that? Well, the first step was to actually get into Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Easy peasy. Am I right? Right. Like, no big deal. (laughs) Easy to get a deal in Hollywood, Uh right? Yeah, amazingly, he's actually able to do that, and he became a writer for several TV shows, including That 70s Show and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those aren't exactly, like, model shows for portraying Christianity. Yeah, and during pitch meetings and brainstorm sessions, Dean keeps suggesting different Christian characters to appear in the show. So, for instance, one idea he had was to have Buffy team up with a church youth group. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see that so bad. I would totally watch that. Here's Buffy and the youth group taking down the vampires. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing. Well, and he doesn't necessarily want big Christian roles in his media just like little glimpses where he can represent the Christianity that he knows. But every time he makes a suggestion, he gets shot down. It's been a real struggle because I thought, well, God, I've come down here, you've placed me in places of real power. I haven't been able to get my characters on the air. I pitch my own shows, many of whom have Christian characters, um, but the shows that I've worked on and run just haven't had the room for me to bring in faith, They didn't want any of that. It seemed like this hopeless endeavor. But then one day, he actually gets this small breakthrough. So they're having a meeting for that 70s show. And one of the other writers has pitched a storyline where these two characters who have been in a relationship for years decide that they're going to stop having sex. And they go to talk to a pastor about their decision. And... The writers are just not sure where the dialogue's going to go. They don't really know how to write it out. They don't know how to make it sound natural. And the showrunner said, I just need to know what a real man of God would say to two teenagers who he really wanted to stop having premarital sex. 
And I started like jotting something down on my script. And nobody really like looked at me as the resident man of God in the room or anything like that. But she just asked this question. And I wrote these words down and I said, well, what if, what if the pastor says, I just think the two of you are denying yourself that wonderful moment when the bonds of your marriage is cemented by giving the gifts of yourselves to each other. And the showrunner went, that's it. Say that again. And so that is pretty much what goes into the script, word for word. I just think you're depriving yourselves of that wonderful moment when marriage is cemented by giving the gift of yourselves. Wow. I never thought about it that way. But that line is kind of pure theology, right? It's something that really is true, and we Christians know how true it is. And those who don't agree with the Christian truth of it see a sort of beauty into it and a value. So there's a moment of real truth getting into a show. And that scene was a small accomplishment of what he came to Hollywood to try to do, see better representation of Christianity in mainstream media. Because for him, he sees blending the talent and skill of Hollywood with the beauty and truth of Christianity as a better alternative to strictly Christian media. That is my motivation and my frustration when art that is presented as being made by Christians is bad. It's, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to me as a Christian and it's embarrassing to me as an artist. And I actually think it's bad witness and a bad evangelism because a lot of Hollywood executives will say, well, Christians just seem to be satisfied with that bad art that they're consuming, so we'll just make more of that and don't have to spend a lot of money on it. I am passionate, um, somewhat angry, about um, making art from Christians that is good. Yeah, you know, like, Dean's approach makes me think of that verse that says that we're Christians, like, we are in the world, but we're not of it. And, like, so often when we think of that verse, we apply it and we're like, oh, I need to go like remove myself from culture. I need to remove myself from society. I need to go isolate. Like, and what we do in the process of doing that is that we actually also take away all light from dark places when we mm. just run away. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Dean is so passionate about Christians not running away that he now works for an organization called Act One. And what they do is they train Christians to be just really great filmmakers and writers so that they can make connections and work in Hollywood. So it was really kind of separatism from the world. And I think a lot of churches went church good, world bad, Hollywood worse. And so Christians didn't learn the skills and didn't attempt to go into the arts as much. And now that's changing. So. You know, if, if you want to be a doctor, you got to be a really good doctor. You got to know how to do brain surgery if you want to do brain surgery. If you want to make films and television that affects the world with things, stories, characters, and ideas that advance the kingdom of God, then you have to be really good at it. And I want to challenge them to be better, to represent God in the world better and advance his kingdom. Okay, there's a couple things. I don't understand the Christian compulsion to make everything as absolutely crystal clear as possible, mm -hmm. even when scripture itself doesn't make certain things clear. Yeah. Like, I look at the storytelling of Jesus, right? 
the greatest storyteller who has ever lived. How often does Jesus make everything abundantly clear? Oh, he's, it's like he's never making any sense. No, we're still deciphering it 2,000 years later. Yeah. So if Jesus himself did not feel the compulsion to lay everything out crystal clear, why do we? Mm. Like, that's not a necessary thing. I think there's a lot of room for mystery. I think we live in a very mysterious world. I do think there's a way to err on both sides. You can be so explicit that you destroy all the mystery. You can be so vague that you actually don't open up any of the deeper questions of life. And I think that the the real balance is for Christians to walk in both mystery and truth when it comes to applying it to art. Mm. Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to Christian media being consumeristic. Like if you're trying to sell God as an idea to people, then you have to have like a clear, this is what he will do for you. This is what being a Christian means for your life. And so if you just kind of leave that up in the air, then it's it's not as easy to like convince people or like win them over. So I think that is one of the dangers of using Christian media as an evangelistic tool is that then you you do go too far onto that side. One thing that I think I would like to see a little more is just dialogue. For example, my boyfriend and I, one thing that we did a while back is we started watching all kinds of different movies about the life of Jesus or about Christianity. And these were not quote unquote Christian films. I mean, we watched like the Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, which is like not which not is like orthodox heretical. At all. Right. Yeah, if yeah. you're looking at it as like a Bible story, but we watched it and then we talked about it mm-hmm. and we were like, "What did you think about this?" Or, or man, isn't it interesting the way non Christians portray Christianity? What do we think that says about our faith? These non Christians exploring Christian ideas, I think, is such a good way for us to dialogue about what things does this say about our faith? Are there things we can take away from this? What? Why is this person wrestling with this? Why did they put that in this movie? Mike Cosper has this book, The Stories We Tell, and Mike's like basic working premise in that book is that every story in some way contains the gospel story within it. And in particular, that any story that upholds this notion of self-sacrifice for the greater good of others is a direct reflection of the character of Jesus and that we have a special resonance with that. Like, that's why when characters die in movies, having given themselves for everyone else, we're especially touched. And it's because uh, we're tapping into the gospel story. And so it's like, do we want to create art that's like explicitly like telling Bible stories? Cool. That's great. Like, hey, Chosen, you do you. That's awesome. I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, that's awesome stuff. I mean, I think about like, the Jesus film and how that's like brought millions of people to know Jesus. Like there is a place for media, like Bible storytelling media. Yes. But then at the same time, you know, you get stories like Dean's where it's like, I'm just trying to show like, this is how Christians engage the world around them in a realistic way. And like that also reflects Jesus. We don't have to be scared of mainstream media Instead, we're able to look at it with new eyes. And mm-hmm. so instead of it being us versus mainstream media, we're like, where's the gospel in this? Even in the even in some of the more broken stories out there. And in fact, some of those broken stories sometimes reflect the gospel more clearly 
than the sanitized, hallmark, detached-from-reality stories. So I think that God invites us to look at the totality of the world, including media, with new eyes and see the gospel present everywhere we go. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Nathan Clarkson, Lisa Wall, and Dean Batali. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-hosts today were Rachel Zabo and Jenna Telestis. Jenna, thanks so much for serving with us all summer and for doing this episode. It was wonderful. Yeah, of course. It's been great. Anna Tran is our media director and audio engineer. And when I offered her the new producer role, looked at me and said, Do I want to pay rent doing this? Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 through 30. Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. Likewise.